joyfulness and suffering, okay, I, I can get that. I can, you know, maybe someone will, will get mad at me or, you know, maybe I won't have all that I want because I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I can still be joyful and contented. But how about if your children are being murdered? How about if your family is being uprooted and your homes are being destroyed? This takes on a little bit sharper tone, does it not? That we should be joyfully contented, recognizing that we are the recipients of God's loving, gracious, unmerited favor when people are killed, when our lives are taken, when we are beaten, and when we are tortured? The answer is yes. The question is, how? Hello and welcome again to Grace Maribel Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And if you'll stand, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12 and really finishing out our discussion on the Beatitudes. There's much more of the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to finish in... I think what we'll find to be rather stunning fashion when it comes to the Beatitudes, something that maybe is a bit unexpected. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please be seated. John Christostom, a godly leader in the fourth century church, preached so strongly against sin that he offended the empress as well as most of the church officials of his day. When summoned before the emperor Arcadius, Christostom was threatened with banishment if he did not cease his uncompromising preaching. His response was, sire, you cannot banish me for the world is my father's house and I will slay you, said Arcadius. Nay, uh, but you cannot for my life is hid with Christ and God came the answer. Your treasures will be confiscated was the next threat to which John replied, sire, that cannot be either. My treasures are in heaven where none can break through and steal and I will drive you from man and you will have no friends left was the final desperate warning. That you cannot do either, answered John, for I have a friend in heaven who has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Christostom was indeed banished first to Armenia and then further away to Pityus, which is on the Black Sea. And he never arrived there because he died on the way. But neither his banishment nor his death disproved or diminished his claims. The things that he valued most highly, not even an emperor could take from him. Kingdom living 
will bring persecution because the world hates the king. We are to make the king known in every way possible so that we do not shrink back from the privileges of suffering for his kingdom. And what we'll see specifically this morning is that the true kingdom living brings joyful suffering as we pour out our lives in serving our king who suffered for us. Again, true kingdom living brings joyful suffering as we pour out our lives in serving our king who suffered for us. And if you've been following along in the Beatitudes here week after week as we moved through them, now you're most likely familiar with where we were headed because we've been reading it each week. But perhaps again, it it comes, and, and really I think for all of us at some levels, it comes as a bit of a jolt to learn that if we're poor in spirit, if we recognize our bankruptcy, that we have nothing to offer before a holy God, and we live that way in the kingdom, if we mourn over our sin, hating it, not cultivating the, the, the secret pleasures of sin, but setting them aside, grieving over them. If we're gentle, humbling our own will underneath the will of a holy God and never exerting more force than he would have us to, never seeking to gain our own will, but always desiring his if we're gentle. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, longing that we would know and understand the character of God and live out those characteristics. If we're merciful, longing to see that others would be delivered from the, the difficulties that they, that they deserve. If we're pure in heart, growing in Christ-likeness, our hearts being, being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And if we're peacemakers, that was last week, if we seek to not just want peace, but actually do everything we can to resolve conflict, to be at peace with all men, it stuns us to find that when all that is true, the final beatitude is this. You've done all that. You've been part of the kingdom. You've been blessed. And now the final crowning achievement is that you get persecuted. Well, it's like, wait a minute. We need a, we need a different scripture. We need a different word. We need someone to write a different book than this. We need the books that are out there on how we can have health, wealth, and prosperity. We need to hear that if we are, are serving God, if we honor Him and please Him, then our lives will be fulfilled. Our families will be happy. Our marriages will be perfect. Our, our churches will have no problems. But that isn't what Jesus says. That's not the message of the kingdom. The message is that if you perform all seven Beatitudes, the eighth will surely come. It is inevitable. The scripture is clear. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So let's look at that first, the reality of persecution. Now we can't make it past the first word of the beatitude, blessed, and particularly when it comes to this one, because I'll remind you that to be blessed is to be happy and highly favored. It is a joyful contentedness which flows from being the recipient of God's loving, kind, and unmerited favor. And as we look at these other Beatitudes, I'm like, well, I can understand that if I'm poor in spirit, if I'm gentle, all those other things. But how is it that I am receiving God's loving, kind, unmerited favor when I'm persecuted? I don't like that one. That one doesn't make any sense. And, and, and the rest of that, the definition, a joyful contentedness, if I'm being persecuted, how is it that I can be joyfully content? And now, if you've been a believer for very long, you're aware of these things. You know that, that this is the teaching of the Bible. And yet for Americans, this teaching tends to come at, at a very light price. It tends not to be very weighty. Like joyfulness and suffering, okay, I, I can get that. I can, you know, maybe someone will, will get mad at me or, you know, maybe I won't have all that I want because I'm a Christian. But you know, I can still be joyful and contented. But how about if your children are being murdered? How about if your family is being uprooted and your homes are being destroyed? This takes on a little bit sharper tone, does it not? 
that we should be joyfully contented, recognizing that we are the recipients of God's loving, gracious, unmerited favor when people are killed, when our lives are taken, when we are beaten, and when we are tortured? The answer is yes. The question is, how? And so let's look a bit at this as we step it through. The reality is this, really, that the language gives it to us. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. It's an interesting construction. I won't give you a a grammar lesson because I really don't understand grammar all that well myself, actually. I do the best I can as I study and preach, but I'm not here to say, well, let me tell you all about the Greek language and all its participles and But I will say this, the way that this is constructed really enables us to translate, or we could say it more like this, blessed are those who allow themselves to be persecuted. It's called a a passive sense. There's a passive portion of the verb, which is that it is those who are blessed who constantly live with an anticipation that they will be persecuted. It speaks of it as though it is in the past tense. It has already happened. You've already gone through it. You're willing for it to come. And you recognize that when it does, this is how you will continue. You will be persecuted and you are blessed. So blessed are those who live with a continuous willingness to endure persecution as it is the price of godly living. 2 Timothy 3.12, which I already mentioned to you, says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The scripture is clear that given enough time, and really the moment we become believers, persecution begins. Not necessarily the physical persecution that many receive, and that does begin at the moment they become believers. If you live in the Muslim world and you become a believer, you're removed from your home, or you're killed. One of those two, you're, you're considered dead, and that happens in other cultures around the world. So the persecution can begin immediately, but even if you don't see it immediately, it has begun because the enemy of your soul instantly begins to come against you when you have repented and put faith and trust in Christ. When you're a new creation, that is when his activities on your behalf are activated, whether you can see it directly or immediately or not. He's coming for you. And so the persecution will come. You will be able to see it eventually if you live long enough, but the moment you come to Christ, the persecution begins. Satan is coming for you. Your sinful flesh begins to to cry out and to testify against you. And ultimately, the culture, when it figures out who you really are, the culture will come for you as well. Because our culture does not love Jesus. So there is a culture of Christianity out there, but it is not the culture of a true passion for Christ to be conformed to his image by humbling ourselves underneath our king in true repentance and belief. So all three of those things start coming against you to ever-increasing degree, your flesh, the devil, and the culture. In fact, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3 to a church that he really spent very little time with, three weeks for sure, probably a little bit more before he moved on, the way he preached the gospel to them is not the way that we would normally expect it to be preached. He says this to them. He was writing back to them after having left and continued on himself through great difficulty in his ministry. He writes a letter back to them because they were being persecuted. They were suffering. And he says, I'm writing this letter essentially in in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 3 so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. They heard about the afflictions that he had and they also were receiving affliction themselves. The pressure was getting ramped up. They were new believers, five months, six months, maybe a little bit more. No one that would be disturbed by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. This is the destiny of the believer is that the believer suffers. The apostle is saying, apostle Paul is saying, this is destined for apostles, but it's not just us. It's you as well. Anyone 
who has put faith and trust in Christ is destined for suffering. He goes on to say, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, you want to be a prophet? You want to predict something that you think will come true? Now, you're not actually a prophet, so don't, don't get too excited about this. But you can take scripture and proclaim it as truth. And if you want to proclaim to people that they will suffer if they are believers, that will come true. In fact, it's already happening in their lives. He said, as we told you before, right, it came to pass. We kept telling you. I mean, is that how you came to Christ? Someone kept telling you in advance. You know, they said, here's Jesus. Here's what he's done. You need to repent. You need to believe. Here's the gospel. That's what Paul did. And then he also said, and oh, when you do that, understand that suffering will come. It's coming for us as the apostles. We're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. It's going to come to pass. I'm, I'm preparing you for the suffering that you will most certainly face. And so when it comes to pass, remember, I told you so. I told you it was coming. It shouldn't surprise you, but unfortunately it does. We tend to be continually surprised when things are difficult, when we're persecuted, when the world doesn't like us, when our family members who aren't believers don't want us around, when they call us foolish and they call us idiots and they say, stop coming over at Thanksgiving and trying to tell us about Jesus. We're tired of this. You're always trying to turn the conversation around into the things of Christ. Would you just be quiet? You're driving us crazy. And, and, and we're like, why are you doing this? And it's never easy to hear, but it's what you were destined for. You go out and you try to hand out tracts or you stand on someone's door, or you're preaching on the street and they come up and say, you're an idiot. What are you doing? I don't want anything to do with this. You're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Get out of here. I'm like, oh. Now again, that's not easy to face. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying we've forgotten that that's what we're destined for. And it goes on and on all the way to where someone comes for you and kills your children and drags you off into prison. The scriptures say that we are destined for this. Thomas Watson, Puritan, writing in the 1700s said, though Though they be never so meek, speaking of the Beatitudes, though they be never so meek, merciful, or pure in heart, their piety will not shield them from sufferings. They must hang their harps on the willows and take the cross. The way to heaven is by way of thorns and blood. Set it down as a maxim. If you will follow Christ, you must see the swords and the staves. And all throughout history, that has been true. Men who have seen the sword, they've seen the staves, they've been burned at the stake, they've been killed, they've been drowned in those overt physical areas of persecution, but they have been persecuted in every way, ultimately. Galatians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul speaking really of the battle between the, the spirit and the flesh, that this has always been true. He's speaking here of Abraham and his son by the promise, son through the promise, Isaac, and his son really through the flesh, his own sinfulness, Ishmael, and they fought against each other. He says, that's a picture of of the way the flesh is always battling the spirit. And he says in Galatians 4.29, but as at that time he was born according to the flesh, that would be Ishmael, persecuted him, Isaac, who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. What you're facing now is what happens. The flesh hates the spirit. And when you have been regenerated, when you are new, when your life is different, the world cannot help but hate you. Persecution will come. It is the destiny of all believers. That's the reality. Well, what's the reason? Why should we be suffering? And here we have to be very clear. We are not supposed to suffer because we're foolish. We're not supposed to, supposed to suffer because we're disobedient, because we're lawbreakers, because we're rebels. Look at the text. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. You're doing 80 miles, on the way to, 80 miles an hour on the way to church because you're late. The policeman stops you, know, stops you, pulls you over. I'm being persecuted. You are not. You're breaking the law. 
you know, you, you say, well, yeah, I don't like taxes and I don't really like the government, so I'm going to write off this on my tax and write off that that I'm not supposed to. And you get caught. You're going to be persecuted. You're going after me because I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You're a lawbreaker. You broke the law. No credit, no benefit. You're suffering for the wrong reason. Now, we'll see that you can gain benefit from that by responding rightly. You're not supposed to go, well, I did it so I can, I can pout and I can be mad. No, you still have to respond in a godly way, and that will bring blessing. But the original suffering is of no benefit to you in that sense. You're just a lawbreaker. You're just foolish. And in your family, you know, maybe you're just kind of abrasive and, and, and you're irritating. And people go, ah, man, that guy was still, he's irritating. Like, you're persecuting me because I'm a Christian. No, you're irritating. We talked about last night, love is not unbecoming. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It's not foolish. You guys... We are to suffer only, as it were, for righteousness. You remember Daniel? Daniel worked for 70 years in a pagan government. Uh, All governments are essentially pagan, uh, unless it's Christ himself, and he's ruling. That's not a pagan government, and and, and it's believers. But even even where there are believers, they wrestle with sin. So regardless, he serves for 70 years, and then they want to kick him out. They want to persecute him. They They want to remove him from the government because they hate him. This is as Darius the Mede takes over Babylon and sets up his own own people to rule. Daniel's one of those. And you remember what happens? They're looking for every grounds against him, everything they can find to remove him from office. Can you imagine? It's like the ultimate vetting process, right? 70 years worth of government service. And they're looking, and they kept copious notes, copious records, just study the Old Testament. And so they're looking everywhere. Where did he sin? Where did he violate governmental policy? Where did he, where was he, you know, do a backdoor deal that he wasn't supposed to do? Where did he harm someone? They couldn't find it anywhere. 70 years of service. So what did they have to do? They had to make serving God illegal, and then they could get him. You see, that's why you should suffer. If serving God is illegal, well, you're going to suffer for serving God. That's how that works. You should only suffer for righteousness, never because you were sinning or foolish. William Hendrickson says, when the faith of God's children has developed sufficiently to be outwardly manifested so that those who do not share it with them begin to take notice, persecution results. John MacArthur says, those who faithfully live according to the first seven Beatitudes are guaranteed at some point to experience the eighth. Those who live righteously will inevitably be persecuted for it. Godliness generates hostility and antagonism from the world. The crowning feature of the happy person is persecution. Kingdom people are rejected people. Holy people are singularly blessed, but they pay the price of persecution for it. Now, at its most basic level, persecution is inevitable for those for the righteous because they are being conformed to the image of Christ and their Lord and Savior to whom they are conforming was himself persecuted. We are not to expect that we would receive better treatment than our master. We are not to desire to be treated better than our master was. John 15, 20, remember the word I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. To live for Christ is to live in opposition to Satan in his world and in his system. Christ's likeness will produce in us the same results as Christ's likeness did in the apostles, in the rest of the early church, and in believers throughout history. Christ living in his people today produces the same reaction from the world that Christ himself produced when he lived upon the earth, and that was suffering and ultimately death. If persecution, if the world could persecute us far enough, if they could get what they wanted, they would kill us to get us out of the way. We just don't live in a society that allows that here but they certainly do allow it in other places. You live in North Korea, this is, this is life for you. 
Some places in China, much of it even today, this could happen to you. Uh, many, many other places in, in much, much of the Muslim world, this will happen if you choose Christ. Now, you might wonder, well, is this kind of a recent phenomenon? All right, we, we can chase it back maybe in the early church, maybe back to Christ, but was it going on before that? Well, I already read Galatians, but how about even back before Abraham and Isaac? How about Cain and Abel? Let's just consider them for a moment. Why is it that these are the first children? In the first family, they fall into sin. And what begins to happen? What's the conflict that begins right after the man falls into sin? 1 John 3.12. I mean, you know the story. Cain kills Abel. They come to bring a sacrifice. Abel brings a sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. Cain's is not. Cain is angry about that, certainly, and he kills Abel. But what's fundamentally going on in his heart? Well, we wouldn't be able to guess and know for sure unless 1 John 3.12 didn't tell us. It says, we are not to be as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. That's why Cain killed Abel. I can't stand your righteous deeds. I don't want you around. This brings conviction to my evil heart. This assaults my selfishness. It assaults my self-sufficiency. It assaults my ability to worship God on my own and do what I want and feel comfortable about that. Your righteousness drives me crazy. I'm going to kill you. And he did. And this is the attitude of sin, of Satan, and of the sinful culture towards believers. It always has been. It always will be. And so for this reason, if believers are not persecuted, there may be a serious problem. Either in the culture itself, it might be pretending to be believing or simply reducing the standards of what it means to believe. Or maybe in your own individual life. What, did, what does Luke 6.26 say? We're going to talk at the very end about the fact that we, we suffer in the legacy of the prophets. The true prophets suffered all the way down. Israel's prophets, when they spoke the truth, were killed. But what about the false prophets in Israel? I mean, there were a lot more false prophets than there were real ones. So what, what, kind of, what, what did they experience at the hands of Israel? Well, Luke 6.26 tells us, and this is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of his day. He says, woe to you when all men speak well of you, which most men did speak well of the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. That is the, the, the Jewish people. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Don't listen or, or don't feel like you're doing well when the rest of the culture says, you're great. We like you. You can come preach at our, at our church. You can present that kind of gospel to us. That's fine. Come on. We would love to hear you. Watch out because they treated the false prophets the same way. The false prophets, not the real ones. The real prophets, it says at the end of our text here, they killed. The false prophets, they said, you're great. We need some more of that message. Bring, bring that one. And that's what our culture today says as well. Bring the false message. They'll, they'll take any kind of teaching, any kind of preaching, all different varieties, as long as it panders to self-interest and to sin and isn't righteousness. The righteousness of the gospel, the righteousness of holy living, which is what is focused on here. It's not so much justification that is mentioned here. It is your righteous acts, your righteousness that you are living out, your conformity to Christ that you're living out before a whole, uh, an ungodly culture. And if you are not persecuted, it may be that there is a problem in your own life. The fact that many professed believers are popular and praised by the world does not indicate that the world has raised its standards, that the world is getting more holy, that America is getting more Christian. No, it may well mean that many who call themselves by Christ's name have lowered their standards. We gain 
no benefit, by the way, from suffering for doing what is wrong. Right? Again, back, back to that point, we must suffer for righteousness. If we're not living righteously, then we probably won't suffer from the world's culture. But when we do what is right, we will. However, we must be very careful, again, that we aren't somehow responding improperly to an ungodly culture and suffering for that. First Peter 2.20 says, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? There it is. You get, you get no credit. There's no blessing from God in the initial punishment. He's not bringing his blessing upon you. It's not the kind of punishment you're supposed to rejoice in when you sin. What credit is there? You sin, you're harshly treated. The context here is masters and slaves. You can't imagine what it was like to be a slave. I can't really either back in that culture. And the slaves were revolting against that. We will not be treated like this, as you can understand. And so they were committing acts of sin back towards their masters and not doing what their master said and, and justifying it as, as much as could possibly be done. I'm just a slave. I have the right to do this. And they were being punished as a result of that. And it seems like maybe they were crying out to God and saying, God, we're being, we're, we're being persecuted here. And you go, you aren't. There's no credit if you sin and are harshly treated. None. If you endure that with patience, you're still supposed to endure it with patience, but there's no credit for the suffering. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Righteousness is supposed to produce suffering and will, but unrighteousness that we then suffer for is to be repented of, and then we are to press on in further righteousness. We don't rejoice when we suffer for doing what is wrong. We rejoice when with a clear conscience before God, we suffer because we did what was right. And I might ask you, are you pursuing righteousness to the extent that you can actually suffer for it? In your workplace, if you pursue righteousness, doing what is right there, you will often find that you are persecuted because you cannot match up with what your bosses want, the unrighteous things that they desire. Spent many years, six years working at McDonald's and I was often asked to, we had the dates that were supposed to put out on the, on the various kinds of foods for how long it was supposed to be out. Of course, it would be out for a while and we wouldn't use it all. And so the head manager would come by and say, look, look here, I've reset the, the date, the little date thing. You, know, you just move across the buns or whatever it is and it puts a new date on. It's really easy. You just put it right over the top. I need you to do that. Just remark this stuff because we need another day. Well, then I know that's against company policy. I know that's against everything that's supposed to, to happen, what we're supposed to do. And what do I say? I'm sorry, I can't do that. I can't, that, that's, that's not righteous. It's not the right thing for me to do. That's dishonest because I'm, I'm, I'm marking over the very thing that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to get rid of these. I know it's going to cause you to lose money. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't make me very popular. And there were other things, but I'm sure you've probably faced more and more difficult things than that, many of you. Well, do what is right and suffer for it rather than, again, doing what is wrong. Our loyalty to Christ and his righteousness must, all, must always come before the culture. Luke 9, 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he returns in glory and the glory of the father and of his holy angels. Our loyalty to Christ is first. When we are righteous and serving Christ, then we will suffer and we may not deny Christ in our words or in our actions so that we don't suffer because it is very tempting to do so. It, 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 we wrestle with the difficulties of being righteous and being persecuted for it. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. 
These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.